This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, episode 51, with guest Jessica Holzbach. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Suvorova, and welcome to today's conversation. Right after graduation, Jessica Holzbach worked as a digital strategy consultant for banks and insurance companies. Quite quickly, she realized that traditional banking is not innovative enough. At this moment, Jessica decided to not wait any longer and took the initiative in her own hands. She founded Penta in 2017 with the goal of building a bank that offers a user-friendly product and a great customer experience. Four and a half years later, she stepped down from the renowned and successful company Penta to take on a new challenge and launch Pile Capital, a crypto-as-a-service company giving access to DeFi products for startups and new banks. Today, we speak about Jessica's journey as a serial founder, fundraising in the times of economic downturn, and how traditional and decentralized finance can be bridged. Enjoy the episode and make sure to sign up for our newsletter via the website waa.berlin. Hello, Jessica. It's a great pleasure to welcome you today in the studio. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. The first question I actually had in mind was about your first fintech startup, Penta. You co-founded Penta and served as a chief customer officer on the management team for over four and a half years since its inception. While you were there, it's so interesting, the company scaled to over 30,000 customers, over 150 employees, and more than 70 million in venture funding was collected. So impressive. And this is just in four and a half years. And not many first-time founders experience the same level of success. Uh, what do you think you did differently to make Penta a success in such a short time frame? Yeah, I think it's it's also always a definition of success, right? So there was definitely not like a straight way to this yeah last point of success. There was like up and downs. And I think at times we were also thinking, are we still doing the right thing? What I think is like super crucial is like the reason like why you do it and kind of, you know, having like a real problem and a real pain that you're solving. And I think always on kind of the bad days, you know, maybe an investor said no or maybe, you know, you wanted to launch a feature that doesn't work or like, I mean, all these like small things. I think in the beginning we were sending our or shipping our credit cards and they never arrived at the customers. And we were just oh, no. like, what is, what is happening? But like every time that we actually, you know, created value for the customer and I met, you know, I was out on the streets in Berlin and I saw somebody having a Penta card and I asked, oh, you're using Penta. They were like, oh, we love it. It's great. It helped us so much. And I felt this always kept up the spirits and the energy of like us as a founding team, but then also later, like the whole company. So you could mm -hmm. really, you know, feel that you're doing something valuable, you're helping out there and like it really has an effect. And I think that kept us at it and that kind of kept us pushing through even in bad times. Mm -hmm. And before founding, I mean, did you have any fears, any hiccups when you had this idea and you thought like, let me give it a try? How easy was it for you? Yeah, that's a, it's a good one because sometimes when you look back, right, it looks somehow easier. And now that I'm, I'm doing the second kind of company, I feel I'm going through similar kind of fears in your head again, right? And I think the biggest part is always like, are you building a product that is really needed by the end customers? And uh, looking back, it seems so obvious. Obviously, you needed like an SME bank that is online for, you know, for like startups and companies. But at the time, I do remember that especially, you know, like Deutsche Bank or like NASPA or whoever, you know, they were basically telling us, 
oh, so you're just taking what we have digital? Like nobody needs that, you know? Why would I need like to sign up for an account in one or two days? P customers are fine to do this in one or two weeks. You know, mm -hmm. there's no there's no value. And I think we, we proved the, the opposite. There is like value in doing things easy, convenient and online. But at the time it was not that obvious. And I think that's kind of also now, you know, like probably what's best described in product market fit Uh, getting to the point that you really know you're building something that's really creating value out there. Like you, you felt like this is it. This is the right. And I, as I, I was actually reading that when you were working um, in management consulting and you were consulting, working with clients, you already saw that they were not maybe ready for some of the innovative things. And you felt like maybe I should be the person doing it. That kind of inspired you. And then there was also reading that you had a startup, which was in a completely different field. Was it SAE ball? Uh, yeah. So, and there you also realized that you couldn't open a bank account easily. And that also inspired you. And this is interesting. So there were some kind of signals throughout your already professional path that you saw, this is not working. How can I improve it? But a lot of people see something is not working, but they don't necessarily have this mentality maybe of taking and changing it because that takes an effort. That's difficult. Yeah, and it's also scary, right? Like, I mean, imagine, I think the team back then, we were all like beginning 20s, mid 20s. And then you kind of go out there and say, oh, we build a bank, you know, like nobody at the time knew how to build a bank from scratch, you know, so it's sometimes that these things seem very, very big. And I think that the only way to deal with it is to break it into smaller pieces, right? Like to just start and like take it step by step and then get there and don't lose kind of your North Star out of the perspective. But yeah, I, I would say it's, yeah, it's, it's scary. But also on the other side, it's super, super exciting, right? Because every day you're working on something that hasn't been there and you're like mentally really challenged like to think through it and how to take it and you can kind of choose the people you work with and kind of try to get the best team ever to tackle this really amazing challenge. And as a chief customer officer, what exactly you were maybe doing, if I could understand, you already said that you were interacting with customers very closely. How close? Like what were you doing? What were you trying to investigate? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I felt banks did wrong is that they didn't have the customers in mind when they build products, right? Mm -hmm. So they kind of, you know, sit in, in their towers and they design products that make revenue. But like, what does the customer actually want? And that's why we decided to build it as a yeah, chief customer role and really put the customer into the center and not mm -hmm. only say we do this. And this happened by like various like ways. So we had like a Slack channel with our customers. So I was basically oh, wow. reached all the time and like asked what is about that and that I I mean I onboarded the first 50 customers myself right so that's like another thing we had an open product roadmap on Trello so customers could vote and then you would give feedback and they could say what they want and what they don't want you know so it was really I feel really close connection and I also do remember all the kind of first startups we had kind of the first companies we had I know the names and I know where they're located and you know I think this very close um, relation we tried also to scale so like with the people we hired and like the different teams and the setups we always tried to set it up in a way that they're close to customers and uh, maybe as a last thing because I mean, it's something you can easily do when you're small. But when we get bigger, I think like 50, 70 people, we reorganized the whole company also around the customers. Mm -hmm. So we had always, for example, tech product and then customer support in one squad. So they were all, you know, together. And then like the person that actually talked to the customer had like setups or sessions with tech and they were like participating even in the, in the dailies, you know, in the retrospectives. So it was really like a, 
I would say different setup, but it was really helpful for us. I can imagine. I mean, you could not at some point write a Slack message to all the customers. So that there needed to be a scalable solution for that. But after four and a half years, you decided to step down, actually. And I was reading from you, there's a quote, if there is one thing that I learned from my experience, it is always to keep your head and standards high and never settle, never get too comfortable. And when I was reading this, I was wondering, okay, what exactly you mean by high standards and never getting too comfortable? Does this mean that you felt a bit settled after four and a half years at Penta? Yeah, I guess that sounds crazy to other people that like in a startup <laughs> that is growing fast and, you know, a lot of exciting things happen. One could say it gets too comfortable. But I feel I was always, you know, especially in these like early years, yeah, as a founder, you always put the company first, right? And it's also something I expect from founders or from my kind of colleagues in the management team that you kind of put your own wishes or your own interests after the one of the company you know so you basically really sacrifice it and that's like first position and i felt after four and a half years that i also kind of looked into what's important to my to me right like as a person and what like do i like and i really got to a point that i you know i didn't enjoy just you know managing people i mean i had like 60 people directly mm -hmm. under me you know and i just felt I, I could do more and I, I personally get a bit too comfortable in, in what we were doing. And um, yeah, I, I know it was a bit of a, a tough decision and also like from the team and the rest of the company, it was really, uh, they, they were a bit shocked. But in the end, everyone also understood it because they knew that I'm like, I like to, you know, build new things, take new challenges and kind of thrive to through this kind of, uh, yeah, challenges and opportunities. Interesting. You, you felt okay, I want, I'm looking for a new challenge where I can start from scratch, basically, right? That's interesting. You took actually a five-month break. I feel like a stalker because now I know exactly <laughs> what happened. But I was very curious because not many people take breaks these days and they feel a bit guilty when they do that. And what did you do in those five months? And did you get to enjoy yourself? Did you feel, did you get to be productive and brainstorm on new ideas? Like, how did you take that break for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I could only advise anybody to take breaks, right? Like, it really is like the time when you step back, reflect, kind of take new energy. And I mean, this company was, it was actually exhausting also, right? Like, you really spend a lot of time working, working very hard, putting all your heart into it. Uh, somebody always said like sweat, blood and tears. That was definitely true. So I also felt I needed a break. And um, the first thing we did is actually uh, I went for like one month to Portugal into a house. Uh, initially it was planned to work from there. So the rest of the <laughs> four people, the other three had to work and I was like basically all day free. But it really took me some time to relax. So in the beginning, I, you know, I was missing this like mental challenge every day. And that I tried to transform it into sports and activity, but I was, I think they thought I'm crazy. So I was waking <laughs> up at six, going for a run. Then I came back, then I did some exercise, then I went surfing, then I did bicycling and that all in one day. But I just had all this like excess energy, you know, and it really took, I think, one month until I calmed down. And I really felt now is a time that I can relax and, you know, be a bit more calm and really think about what happened and what I want to do. But it was a quite a process I have to say interesting that it took you like one month actually to get to that like okay calming state interesting and then you you still did have the chance to kind of plant that idea and think through it as I understand because when you came back you came back with also big news of founding your second fintech uh, or financial company 
Yeah, I mean, I um, actually during that uh, during that time, I also started investing. Um, so I started to do some angel investments, you know, into other mainly fintechs, also a bit of health, also a bit of funds. So, and I always wanted to be like the best investor out there. So I really, you know, had high expectations of myself. Uh, I really wanted to help the founders, but at some point, I also realized that I love to dig into it. And uh, I remember that when I was a founder. I hated my investors that like, you know, told me what to do. So I think it's a very thin balance of being helpful, um, maybe helping as a coach, you know, like helping them to get the right direction, but not, you know, taking over what they are working on. And uh, for me, the conclusion was that I'm not ready to be a VC and to be like on the sideline in that sense, but have to jump into it again, you know, and, you know, like still put my energy, dig deep, have one problem, solve it, build a company. And it was definitely a process. Like when I when I left, I didn't know if I would found again. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if I would go into venture capital as a you know full time VC, go to maybe a corp, I, I, maybe not a corporate, but <laughs> you know it was still an open decision. So that process actually helped me, yeah, to realize that I want to do it again. Exciting, and this is what we're going to talk about actually. Pile, um, there's lots of things to discover here, but. At first, I would like to focus on the pre-seed round that you just closed of 2.8 million. And I mean, this is fantastic. In despite the very difficult, let's say, economical situation right now, you were able to close the round. While, you know, many other founders are experiencing hard time raising, and I'm also hearing a lot of things that people are, you know, they're a bit maybe desperate, they're having down rounds, they're maybe not sure what they should uh, pitch for. And why do you think Pile is an exception here? And how did you approach the situation? I mean, I see absolutely the same. The markets are at the moment crazy. I mean, it started with capital markets, right? Went down to venture capital. Uh, then we had the whole crypto crash that even on top of that uh, happened. So it is super, super difficult. And I realized already also during the time at Penta that fundraising is also a matter of timing, right? It's like absolutely a matter of timing and i think any company that started 2021 honestly raised on crazy valuations for <laughs> sometimes crazy ideas you know and this year is just different it is a bit more different and it's a bit more difficult but it also i think helps because it helps you to focus on what actually needs to be done to build a successful company and to also build a resilient company so in the end why were we successful i think it's a matter of timing. We started quite early in, in, in the year to have like initial talks. It was also a matter of, you know, my, my network from kind of from a previous company. And yeah, it, it definitely helps to do this like a second time and it helps to have done it from the other side. So I really felt I learned a lot uh, from being an investor on how to kind of best raise money because you can put yourself much better in the shoes of the other person. And I mean, investors are not investing into you because uh, they think what you've done until then was successful. They actually invest into you because they want the future to be successful, you know? So I always feel funding rounds are, yes, they're a reason to celebrate somehow, But they're actually only the start. It's somebody that gives you the opportunity to from now on build an amazing company, you know. And that's why I feel sometimes out there in like the startup world's a bit, I mean, it's a bit misleading, right? Like the posts and everyone is like, oh, I raised successfully X, Y, Z. I think that's only actually quite a lot of pressure because yeah, now like you have to deliver, here right? Here the work starts. Like exactly. here it's like the responsibility. Have you spoken to any of your maybe friends, founders right now? What is what is the current mood? And are there a lot of people trying to raise right now or are they pausing? 
The difficult part about if you choose the venture capital route is that you get into this red race, right? So uh, especially if you like raised last year, then you had a lot of money, you know, and you started hiring, your burn increases. And I think also a lot of investors push to scale and grow fast. And now the market environment's completely changed. So it's much more about revenue and so on. So it's quite difficult if you then get to a point that you have to actually raise and you can't choose, you know, between, oh, I might delay it for a year. So I think all kind of founders, friends, like people I talked to, especially in the beginning of the year, already saw a bit the warning signs. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of them try to reduce the burn, you know, to be a bit more sustainable. But uh, I also feel that a lot of them in the end managed to raise, at least like friends that I know, but not at the expectations that they had initially from last right, year. Right. So what would be your maybe number one advice right now to the founders that are, let's say we're looking at early stage founders that are planning pre-seed round? I mean, pre-seed, yeah, I, I would say try everything you can to prove product market fit and be like laser focused, you know, to really show that, you know, the product you're building makes sense and like the unit economics makes sense. And that if now somebody would invest a million, you know, you would get out at point Y because it's already kind of clear, you know, the attraction or the direction uh, this is taking. So I think, and that's something you can also kind of achieve in, I mean, on, on smaller budgets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Perfect. But l now let's focus on actually exciting bright news. I mean, this is also bright news, but this is a bit difficult in terms of economic situation. So let's not be too cheerful here. But now actually it is about you founding your second I always want to say second company because I always think it's like the second official, the second big one, yeah, no, <laughs> the fine. second financial company. How does it feel? I mean, before we talk about Pile to becoming this founder again, and is there some pros and cons that you're already seeing? Are you doing certain things differently? I mean, I wanted to do everything perfect now with the second time that I feel I had a lot of learnings and uh, I did my mistakes or my fair share of mistakes in the past and I wanted to improve on everything. And also the time that I left, I, you know, I made a lot of notes on what to take care of and what to be, you know, trying to remember the lessons you learned. And now it's funny because I'm in this process again of being very early stage and I kind of see myself sometimes doing exactly the same mistakes again, <laughs> you know, so I'm like, God, how is this possible? But I think it's always about like same as in, in meditation, right? Like to be at least aware of what you're doing and kind of catching yourself like in these times and trying to learn for the future. And um, yeah, also enjoy the, the way or like enjoy the ride in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, and from energy perspective, like I always imagine when you do something for the first time, you have this crazy amount of energy, you're inspired, you're, I think you are like, I don't know, the whole energy from the universe is like fueling you and now it's the second time don't you feel a bit more maybe less enthusiastic for some reason or do you actually feel more balanced and you know better how to direct this energy and work with it like from that feeling perspective around starting a second financial company how does it feel for you what I told you, right, when I stopped working and all of a sudden I had all this like too much energy and I couldn't sleep and I had to do like five hours of sports per day, I realized that there is like a lot of energy in me and I have to kind of put this to work, right? It, okay. it seems like something that's that's in me, but I definitely see a difference that for, for the first startup, we didn't always know exactly what's 
the next thing we had to do. So I sometimes had the feeling we were running around a bit like headless chicken, you know, <laughs> and but a lot of energy, very young, you know, like basically really, I think the first workshop we ever had, we screamed about who is, you know, defining the values of the company. You know, it was very, you know, very passionate. Everyone thought if we don't get it right now, we will die tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, I feel now I'm a bit more calm, I have to say. But it's also because I'm much more confident and sure that I know what I have to do. Mm -hmm. And I kind of take a bit more, uh, yeah, maybe more productive, more strategic uh, approach. But I would say in, like, I'm still as passionate about doing this. I'm absolutely grateful every day and really enjoy it. I have here like a grown up Jessica, let's say. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. Cool. So Pile is a crypto service for startups, new banks and fintechs, where your aim is to give customers access to decentralized finance products. There's a lot of heavy lingo words in here. So maybe Jessica, you could explain. So how does this actually works and who would find value in using Pile? How you can imagine it from an end customer view is that we realized we did a lot of customer research and went through studies and everything. It actually showed that people still like, especially with the challenger, but like the relationship with their bank and they give banks like some level of trust. And uh, we, or like my view of the future is that banks will not be completely obsolete because you have to have somebody that also is there, you know, to give answers to questions and to, you know, listen to the customer and that kind of manage this customer relationship. And uh, with Penta, we actually did always exactly that, right? We focused 100% of the customer relationship while in the background, we use Solaris Bank for the banking tech infrastructure. And I see the same could happen in crypto. Okay, but when you say bank, you're saying there should be some kind of intermediary that the customer can, we, we don't have to call it a bank, but we there has to be to. some kind of entity that the person knows if I have any questions I can go to, if I have some, I don't know, legal concerns, I can go to like this specific entity. Exactly. Okay. And mm. then like an end customer could, for example, go to their, let's say, Revolut account and buy crypto from their Revolut account, right? or mm -hmm. invest into DeFi protocols like Aave or Compound or whatever, because today it's still quite, I mean, there's like a couple of wallets, but you know, which wallet would you use, which is safe? You already have to have a lot of knowledge to even know where to start to get into this. So mm -hmm. we feel like we want to be the tech and the infrastructure that helps people that already manage the customer relationship to launch crypto strategies easily. And they could basically within, you know, a couple of hours, if they would fully focus on it, integrate crypto strategy or crypto offering into their interface, because we only build basically APIs. Okay, so you are basically creating, you are not going to be this entity, you're creating the decentralized infrastructure for the other entities to use and you will provide and what will this decentralized infrastructure provide to those banks and ultimately customers? Because is it more B2B focused as I understand, but what is the actual services that customers will receive by banks integrating your API? It's very different use case. And customers could do the very classic trading, buy, sell, hold, right? Bitcoin, Ethereum, but they could also say, I put money on an interest account and they earn interest, you know, they could open a wallet, uh, they could even do international payments because mm -hmm. you can actually use blockchain as a payment rail. So instead of, you know, transforming your euros into whatever uh, US dollars and then sending it across the ocean, which takes a couple of days and costs actually a lot of money, you could even use the blockchain as a decentralized uh, payment rail. So I think in the end, the use cases are uh, various, but we are still in the very beginning of mm -hmm. uh, digging into this. And 
I mean, I also know that, you know, decentralized finance services are still quite under-regulated and maybe considered a bit to be in the gray zone. How do you prove those, let's say, banks, those intermediaries, that they can use you and this is secure and this is regulated and basically legit, you know, at the end of the day? Yeah. I think it has been wild, wild west for a long time, but we're really getting getting very close to full regulations. So especially in Germany, we're quite like a fourth runner in, in terms of regulating everything. So I think especially, you know, the end customers are always protected uh, via basically the wallets. So the wallets is kind of similar to a bank account, right? And that by today already is quite regulated by checking that you have to done KYC, you know, similar to everything uh, you have to do and open a bank account. And the good thing is that also Europe will be closely becoming a regulation that really regulates all countries the same way. So I feel um, there's always this difference between Europe, US and Asia. And Europe is a bit more like we're a bit slower with everything, but we also take the security uh, route, right? So I think uh, that will happen sooner or later. And we always wanted to build something that... Mm -hmm you know, again, puts the end customer into the center, even though we're working with intermediaries. So we want this to be super safe and really don't compromise on, on anything just to be fast. So you, Jessica, you come from traditional banking where you've built a bank for businesses and now you move to decentralized finance. How come this is your new passion? What was specifically that triggered you thinking, this is the future, this is where I see myself, because it's a bit controversial to what you did previously, in a way? Yeah, in in a way. And in a way, I also see it as an evolution. So I thought if I want to build a new company, I want to build something that's relevant in the next 10 years. I don't want to build something, you know, that might be cool today, just, you know, because it's a hype or whatever. I wanted to build something that really will be there in the future. And it's a sustainable business and company. And I feel that we had this wave of, you know, making the banking system a bit more user friendly. So, you know, all these challenger banks we know out there, like what they did is make the apps look more pretty and you have colors and you have a lot of user research and UX and UI, right? And it's easier to use. But there has been almost no innovation in the back end. So like the infrastructure is all exactly the same while you're using something nice on the front end, you know, in the back, it's still running on very old rails. And if you have worked in a bank, you actually see the breaking points of that. You see how much like manual work is involved. You see, you know, how things actually go wrong. And uh, that actually led me... Even with challenger banks. Yeah, 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 with all banks, because they're all running on the same system, you know. So I just feel that it's not even only decentralized finance. I also think centralized finance will still be relevant, right? Because I also believe in this kind of contact uh, personal contact company. I just believed in a technology of blockchain, you know, so I believe that, you know, with this technology, you can much easier make uh, things go faster, more secure. And, you know, you just avoid a lot of manual work that is happening at the moment. Mm -hmm. But also, if there is one thing that the person should know or learn about decentralized finance, uh, what would you tell them to tap onto? Or how would you say, like, this is specifically something you should consider uh, learning about it? I mean, it depends a bit on the level of interest, but I think by now there's quite a lot of resources online. Um, mm -hmm. I remember my my first like deep dive touch points were actually with the is it a sixteen Z crypto school. They have a lot of you know courses online. Uh, it's it's really interesting, it, and it takes away you know this whole gambling effect of oh I buy Bitcoin goes does it go up does it go down. It takes like a look into te the technology and why it's beneficial you know and why. 
in theory, our idea of digital money at the moment, you know, it's not really a secure concept at the mm. moment. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So this is more secure, more robust system that will help us to operate more efficiently ultimately and ha have less maybe security gaps as well. Yeah, because the, I mean, the key difference is this concept of ownership, right? And I think that's maybe that's actually the one thing one should take away uh, if you talk about blockchain or like crypto or DeFi, CeFi. It is the first time, or even Web3, I mean, so many buzzwords, but it's the first time that the internet like allows digital ownership, right? And uh, at the moment, like if you send or if I have one euro on my bank account and I want to send it to you, it only works because we trust our banks that they kind of take care of it. But I don't own this one euro. Like, actually, it doesn't exist, you know. So crypto or the blockchain is the first time that we can, without the banks, confirm that the one euro belongs to me. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, when I send it to you, that it belongs to you. And I think this concept of digital ownership is that what actually revolutionized not only banking, but like so many different areas. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think this will be quite an exciting technology of the future. Mm -hmm. And maybe last question I had around this topic is, um, you mentioned that you would like to see the two worlds, so, so to speak, centralized finance, decentralized finance being connected. And I was wondering, like, do this actually, these two worlds need to be bridged. Uh, maybe let the centralized banks and finance kind of exist on its own and DeFi like take it forward on their separate trail, why is it important for them to coexist in a way and work together in ways and creating like new formats of platforms and services for customers? Because I think change will not happen from one day to the other. And change is always, even though sometimes it feels like it, you know, it's, nowadays it feels like we've always ordered online food, you know. But this was actually quite a new concept at some point of time. And there was at the beginning only pizza you could actually order online because it was kind of the most convenient food. But it was quite a development and it didn't happen from one day to the other. And I think the same will happen in this space. Like it will not happen from one day to the other that everyone says, oh, screw the banks. I don't need a bank account anymore. But it will happen gradually, you know, and I think instead of, you know, now, I mean, I could also now just wait 10 years and then build this company. We rather want to build something that allows this gradual change. And instead of kind of fighting the banks, uh, what I did, I think, with Penta in the beginning, we rather want to partner with them and help them kind of, you know, to survive in the future. Because, I mean, there's also some, you know, family institutes or banks that are actually really trying to be close to the customer and serve mm -hmm. them in local places. And this kind of closeness and working together with the end customer is something that is so valuable. And if they will be able to concentrate on that, while well, we help them in the background uh, mm -hmm. to be a bit more innovative and kind of use new technologies, you know, and maybe allow, like I said, uh, international payments from here to Shanghai in like two seconds instead of two weeks, then I think this will be a great achievement. Mm -hmm. And now with uh, you raising the pre-seed round, what are your plans for this year? What are you planning to work on? Yeah, we do things a bit different. So we actually don't plan to raise or like to grow a huge team. Mm -hmm. uh, we rather want to stay a small team with uh, senior people that are absolutely passionate about what they're doing. I saw that you brought some people with you from Penta. Yeah, one. And I didn't ah. bring them. They wanted to join <laughs> me, obviously. No, um, I'm kidding. Yeah, uh, my my product co-founder was also working product ah, at okay. Penta. Uh, but I also knew her already from university. So we studied together. Cool. Yeah. We want to try like to stay a small team because, you know, I feel 
at some point you just hire people, but then you have to manage people and managing the communication gets like a thing for itself. So I sometimes feel that companies are, you know, spending 40% of their time just managing themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very inefficient. So we rather want to be like a company, for example, like Notion that was basically built by three people, you know, and stay like really, really small, but senior, uh, efficient, like a, a small speedboat in the sense. But yes, we do spend money on hiring or we do hire uh, engineers, obviously, and products. So everything that really helps to build um, the core offering of what we do. And the goals are product market fit to really, you know, work with our pilot customers, you know, build a sustainable business. Uh, we're in a B2B area, so we make some revenue fast and become really sustainable and mm -hmm. be able to grow. Can you already share the names of some of your pilot customers? I, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm very curious. But will there um, be any news on who are your one of your first customers anytime soon? Because I'm also curious to understand who are those. When we speak about like traditional banks, are we talking about very rooted centralized banks that have been there like for decades? Or we're talking about challenger banks? Yeah, modern, modern uh -huh. challenger banks. Okay. So we'll learn more. I guess there will be more news to, to come uh, later this year. So very excited about that. I have my last question, uh, Jessica, for our conversation today. And it's usually considered to be a challenging one. Um, but it's my favorite one because I always love to hear from others who they consider as their inspiration, as their role model. And who would you, Jessica, highlight as your personal woman author of achievement? Yeah, I would say uh, besides obviously my mom, uh, who was there from the very beginning in business contact. And I, I do have a lot of really amazing friends. So I, it, it's really hard to no choose. No one should take this person. Exactly. <laughs> so if you're not named, like you, I still admire you. No, like one person that really helped me a lot and actually was the first person that was some sort of a mentor to me um, because I found it always kind of hard, you know, to find a mentor. Like, how do you even do that? Was uh, or is Caroline Gabor. Yeah, she's a, or she was an MD at Finleap. She's the CEO of Movings. I met her during the time that actually Finleap invested into us. And it was amazing to see somebody else, especially uh, also a woman who, you know, had like such an amazing career before, really kind of, all the problems I had, she has seen before, you know, so it was really helpful to kind of to get some advice, how to handle certain situations and not only on the yeah, technical or like skill side, but also, you know, with people and like how to, yeah, tackle certain challenges. So uh, that's, it's amazing to have somebody that always takes time for you, right, and listens and helps you. So I really, really uh, appreciate that. Well, this is amazing. Then Caro Gabor, I hope you're listening to this episode. <laughs> I will definitely make sure to forward it to her <laughs> or tag her. But Jessica, thank you so much for sharing her name and for being today in the studio. It was very interesting, I think, to hear about like your journey as a serial founder, but also to understand like why would someone step down from a very successful company and start a new venture. I definitely can see like you have a crazy amount of energy. The fact that you on your first months of your break you decided to do crazy amount of sports really shows that you are it's maybe not the last startup you're doing and you're like onto something and i'm wishing you the best uh, success and curious to hear more on what pile will build in the coming years yes it was uh, a lot of fun speaking thank you so much thank you for joining us today you can subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. 
If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.